Welcome into Real Pod Wednesdays. Dan Hope joined by Griffin Strom just an hour or two after Ohio State's uh, third high school football camp of June ended. I'm sitting right next to you right now. Hopefully I don't stink too bad because I could feel the sweat still kind of stuck to me from being out there in the hot sun all day, as uh, tends to be the case at these these camps. They're, they're long days by the end of it. You're a little tired, so hopefully we don't sound uh, too tired out here doing this podcast today, but always fun to get back inside the Woody Hayes Athletic Center after a little time away. May is usually a pretty quiet month, so uh, this is an opportunity to get back in there and watch some football, see the coaches coach. It's always a good time. Griffin, you've been out there at all three of the camps along with Garrick Hodge and I. Just what are you, what are your thoughts just from uh, being out of those camps so far? Well, first of all, Dan, I'll say there's enough distance between us that I can't smell you right now. And I don't necessarily plan on getting much closer unless I have to, but probably um, a good plan. Yeah. It's, I mean, camp season's back, man. It's been good. It hasn't been quite as, as hot out there as I remember it being last year. There's been a lot of rain also. Kind of like always though with these camps, you know, some guys you know, don't end up showing up that you think are going are, are gonna to be there. So that kind of makes some of the sessions a little bit um, duller. At times, another thing would be that, of course, sometimes you plan to talk to, to, to some guys and then they end up just kind of sneaking out the back door on you or the coaches end up taking them to the back so you don't have to end up getting a chance to interview some guys that you would like to. But yeah, I think we've seen some pretty good talent out there. And like always with these camps, I think, and we'll, we'll get into this a little bit more in a minute here, but, you know, a couple of those eighth graders that got offers, I know a lot of when they see that a guy in the class of 2026 is getting offered by Ohio State, it seems a little bit ludicrous, but um, I think both of those guys, Atkinson and Chris Henry Jr., both definitely stood out. I would think you would probably agree with that as well, Dan, but, you know, any major takeaways for you before we start getting into some guys that have really impressed us? Yeah, you said it wasn't too hot. That first camp. Yeah, no, that's right. That that's first right. camp last week was pretty sweltering. By the end of it, I was feeling a little worn out and, and dehydrated from being out in the heat all day. But the, the last two haven't been too bad. But yeah, I mean, I think overall, we talked about it a little bit when we previewed it last week. You know, there's maybe not quite the volume of talent from one camp to the next as, as there was last year. But, you know, then again, after the first camp, they offered seven players, which I think was more than they offered at any one camp last year. So, you know, got off to a really strong start with some uh, really quality talent at that camp. I mean, I think there were even some other guys at that camp who probably could have gotten offered but didn't. So really strong there with camp number one. And then this week, the last two camps, only one offer after each of those camps, at least that we know of so far, both of those being wide receivers, Chris Henry Jr., who you mentioned getting an offer on Monday, and then Winston Watkins Jr., a receiver in the 2025 class, who's actually already committed to Texas A&M, but clearly the fact that he's camping at Ohio State would tell you that his recruitment is far from over, despite uh, his very early commitment. And so uh, a couple receivers are really standing out there this week. But you mentioned it. You could make a case that through three camps, the two most impressive players we've seen are guys who haven't even played a snap of high school football yet. And that's Tyler Atkinson, who actually already had an offer. I mean, he was, he, you say eighth graders, it's probably more accurate to say they're freshmen at this point because it's June and they finished up school and they're getting ready to go into their first year of high school, but they haven't played a single high school football game yet. Tyler Atkinson got his offer back in May before he even did camp at Ohio State. I came out to the first camp and showed out. I mean, he was uh, you could just see the obvious athleticism and physical potential there for him to become a five-star defensive end, a, a superstar player, and somebody who I think is certainly you know, going to be in the running to be the number one player in the class of 2026. It's early to say that, but you can just see it. I mean, schools like Ohio State and Georgia would not be offering a guy if you couldn't see special potential there. And the same is true for Chris Henry Jr., who his father, of course, played for the Cincinnati Bengals, was killed in a tragic accident back in 2009. And Pac-Man Jones, one of Chris Henry's former teammates at West Virginia, actually adopted Chris Henry Jr. and his brother and has been taking care of them. But he plays, he or he's going to be playing as a freshman at West Claremont High School out near Cincinnati in Southwest Ohio. And you could certainly see the good genes there. Watching him out there on Monday, 
I mean, he, he again, you, you look at Tyler Axon, you look at Chris Henry Jr., those guys do not look like eighth graders. I mean, Chris Henry Jr. looked like a grown man out there. He's only 14 years old, but he was the fastest receiver out there, without a doubt. I mean, he, he was pretty much dominating in the one-on-one sessions. And again, I know, I know there's people out there who hear that stuff and they go, man, you're offering a guy before he's even played a high school football game. Isn't that a little bit ridiculous? But you can see with those two guys, there is special potential there. It is uh, not hard to see. And uh, Chris Henry Jr., he already had an offer from his father's alma mater, West Virginia. But this is probably the first like really big offer for him. But there are going to be many more to come if what we saw from him on Monday was any indication. Yeah, and Henry in, in particular, 6'3", obviously hasn't even gotten into high school yet. And it was interesting. I wrote about it in my piece. Brian Hartline's reaction. We, had, we were standing right there when Henry was kind of leaving the facility and Hartline was already on FaceTime with somebody really singing the praises of Chris Henry and saying like, man, he's the real deal. He's the real deal. Chris has son. And it was interesting to see as well on social media, kind of the reaction to that, because there seemed to be like a, a very big react, like positive reaction from a lot of people. And it's very clear that Chris Henry's senior's death, like touched a lot of people and struck a nerve. He was so young. He was like 26 at the time. And so, yeah, I think people are a lot of, are very excited about maybe the eventual prospect of that, even though it's very far down the line at, at this stage, but obviously a native of Cincinnati because Chris Henry Sr. was obviously played for the Bengals for what was it, five or six years there in the NFL. But yeah. Who, yeah, what? as we tweet, as we talk right now, uh, that my tweet from about 26 hours before we're talking of Chris Henry getting his offer has been quote tweeted 471 times. It includes a photo of him. And I'm pretty sure about 470 of those quote tweets are damn, he looks just like his father. Cause he really does. He really looked like just like his father. So I think certainly that is something a lot of people, I think a lot of people learned for the first time yesterday that Chris Henry has a son who's also going to be really good at football. And a lot of people were excited about that. Yeah, Dan, my, my, if we're going to compare numbers at this point, and you have many more followers on Twitter than me, I will say mine has like a, a two, almost 2,500 likes, just that that tweet of him uh, getting the offer there when we were uh, doing that interview session after, obviously, he camped with Brian Hartline and the Buckeyes. But Dan, let's move on from Henry a little bit here and talk about maybe some other players that have caught your eye through the first few camps here. I know, I think you have even possibly a list of players that have grabbed your attention here as of late. Yeah, I mean, when we get through all the camps, I'll you know publish a list of who I thought were the most of prospects from all of the camps. But you know, the list I have going so far, Tyler Atkinson is at the top of that list. Right behind him, I have Jermaine Matthews, cornerback from Winton Woods, who uh, participated in the first camp uh, of the year on June one, and his camp was unlike anything I've ever seen before because he literally had like. 15 Ohio State players become like his personal cheering section, like yelling at the coaches, telling them to offer him. Like, I've never seen that before. I'm sure it didn't hurt that his former high school teammate, Mayan Williams, now plays for the Buckeyes and he was out there supporting them. But when you've got the current players on your side, like they almost have to offer you, right? I mean, if they're seeing that kind of talent, that says something. And he was dominant out there. He's a guy who came into the camp as a free star. I saw him uh, tweet something on Tuesday about, or it might have even been Monday, uh, about you know, one of his services now ranking him as a four star. So he is definitely a prospect on the rise. Ohio State's going to have a lot of competition for him. I know he just had made an official visit to Cincinnati. And so his hometown school is certainly going to be in the mix for him. Oklahoma offered like an hour after Ohio State did. So I'm sure they saw the clips from Ohio State camp and they were impressed. But uh, yeah, he's a guy who really stood out to me as somebody who I, I think was underrated as a recruit, but may not be anymore. Uh, after watching his performance. Yeah, for sure, Dan. I mean, uh, th- th- that's the funnest part, honestly, about those camps is, is getting to the, the one-on-ones at the end and seeing the, the players' reactions, the players' interactions, first of all, on the field, and also the Ohio State players that are there helping out or run everything. They get super into it, uh, some more than others, of course, some coaches more than others as well. But but seeing guys get a little fire and everything like that, it makes me uh, a little more excited for the, the start of the football season once again. 
Some other guys who are impressive mentioned Winston Watkins Jr., a prospect who received an offer from Ohio State on Tuesday. I know Garrick Hodge watched him more than I did, but you know, he told me that he would put Watkins right behind Atkinson on his list of the most impressive prospects camp so far. He's a guy that you could see has excellent speed. He made one catch, a really uh, nice acrobatic catch in one-on-ones. Again, we've talked at length about Brian Hartline's track record of attracting elite receivers, and that's certainly why Winston Watkins, who plays at IMG Academy, he's also the cousin of NFL receiver Sammy Watkins. That's why he was at Ohio State on Tuesday, to learn from Brian Hartline and compete for an offer. And if we've learned anything about Brian Hartline, is he's going to have a chance at getting just about any receiver he wants. So even with federally Texas A&M commitment, I think Ohio State's right in the race there. And again, a guy who's just going into his sophomore year of high school, but he certainly looks like the real deal and somebody who I think Ohio State is going to make a really big push for over these next couple of years to try to uh, bring him to Ohio State. Were you impressed watching him? Oh, yeah. I mean, he's one of those guys, not the tall, big receiver in that regard. But of course, Ohio State's had success with some of these guys. Six foot. It's a type of build. I don't know what how tall he's listed at right now. But no, he definitely flashed for sure in the camp session. I was also keyed in on Tavian St. Clair as well, a Bell Fountain, an Ohio guy, 2025 class. So I was watching the, those guys connect a little bit down there when they were throwing the ball. But Dan, I'm wondering if this guy's on your list. because This is a guy that, that stood out to me as really, you talk about when you're at these camps, you're looking for these guys that they're they stand out to you physically as he's the biggest, strongest guy in the group. The physical freaks, as you said before, Dylan Stewart, the four-star defensive end, uh, fringe top 100 prospect in that class, I believe. He's a guy that uh, that earned a an offer from Ohio State back in late January, I believe. And he's a guy like he had, he had no shirt on, just wearing like leggings out there. And man, this is a guy that uh, he's listed at like six four two twenty or something like that. But it looks like. He could pack on even more size, but he's got like a a six pack out there and just looked like an absolute physical specimen. And and he said also that the the Ohio State coaching staff has compared him to Chase Young. When you talk about just a physical freak at that defensive end position, you can kind of see where they were were getting that comparison from. Yep, he was the next guy on my list. Definitely passes the eye test, like you said. I mean, you can definitely see he's a guy who has that physique you're looking for in an edge defender and another guy who, you know, really athletic. I mean, much like, Tyler Atkinson at the first camp, I thought Dylan Stewart on Monday was a guy that you know, he was out there with some really uh, quality talent. I mean, Nigel Smith's a guy who's a top 50 overall prospect in the class of 2024. Will Smith Jr. is a guy who's committed to Ohio State. There, there was a really strong talent in that group of defensive linemen who were there uh, at camp on Monday. And Dylan, I thought, stood out in terms of being the best pure athlete in that group doesn't necessarily mean he's the best overall player in that group but I just thought in terms of that pure like explosiveness and quick twitch athleticism I thought he was a cut above the rest of those guys that he was out there with and so I I really liked what I saw from him another guy I just mentioned him but you know a guy I have to put on my list of guys who've impressed me is Will Smith Jr. For one, he's looked good on the field. I mean, he's won almost all of his one-on-one reps that I've seen. He's looked really good in the drills. Looks like he's gotten quicker while also getting bigger and stronger. And so you can see his potential as somebody who's probably going to play that free technique defensive tackle position at Ohio State. But I think the thing that really impressed me is the fact that he's been at every camp. And and he's a guy who's committed to Ohio State. So he he doesn't need to be there. I mean, he he doesn't have anything he has to prove. But, you know, he lives... Uh, very close, Dublin Kaufman High School, where he, he goes. So, I mean, from his home in Dublin, 20-minute drive. I don't know exactly, but not a long drive. So easy for him to get down there. But nevertheless, I mean, he's in the defensive line group. They work out early in the morning. So that means he's got to get up early each of those days, get down there, and go work out. He, he didn't work out on Tuesday. He was dealing with some cramps after the Monday session. And so he decided to take uh, Tuesday off rather than actually working out. But he was still out there watching all the drill work. And I think that just shows you somebody who wants to get better at their craft, somebody who's going to put the time to, to you know, try to get better. I mean, and the camps aren't free either. So he, he's paying to go out there every time and, and be a part of that and, and learn and get better as a football player. So I think you just have to be impressed by that. I mean, in fact, he looks impressive on the field too, but just his dedication to keep showing up to each camp when he doesn't have to, I think says something about him as well. 
Then another guy I think is probably on your list as well is a 2025 edge rusher, uh, Austin Alexander, who was also in that same group there with uh, Smith and Stewart, I believe. And they were all going up in, in the one-on-ones. He was a guy, his, I feel like his quickness and, and speed really at that edge rusher position really stood out to me. I know they're having him go up against the six foot eight Columbus tackle Jordan Hall a few times, just a monster of a man, of course. And uh, but Alexander at times was a, a bit of a mismatch just because of his speed in that in that matchup there. And he was also super excited to be there afterwards in the interview process. I was very impressed with him. Yeah, I was, too. I, he was probably the guy out of all these guys so far. It's probably been kind of a biggest revelation to me, I would say, because if you look at his offer list right now, he's got offers from Akron, Eastern Kentucky and Liberty. So he's not necessarily a guy who has drawn a ton of buzz as a recruit so far, but he looked like he belonged out there. And he's a 2025 guy, so he's still got a lot of time to you know build up as a recruit. And he, he didn't get that offer from Ohio State yet on Monday, but, I mean, Larry Johnson was... You could tell Larry Johnson liked what he saw in him. I mean, I remember one time he he ran through a drill and he's in the middle of a drill and Larry goes, you're having a good camp, man. You could just see that Larry really liked what he was seeing from him. So he's a guy, I think he's 219 pounds he's listed at right now. They probably want to see him get a little bigger, kind of see how his game develops during his sophomore season because they do have time there. Other big schools haven't jumped into the race with offers yet. And so they don't necessarily need to rush to offer somebody like that, but yeah, I, I really thought he looked good. I, I was really impressed by what I saw from him. So I'll be interested to see. Uh, he plays at Cooper High School in Burlington, Kentucky. I'll be interested to see what kind of player he becomes over the next couple of years because uh, I think he's a guy who's uh, got some real promise from based on what we saw in that camp session. And then, you know, one other guy I got on my list, another commit, Ty Lockwood. He was out at camp on Tuesday. And again, a guy who didn't have anything to prove, but you could certainly see why he was Ohio State's top target at tight end of his class. He just looked really smooth out there. Everything they were asking him to do, whether it was route running, catching, blocking, he he looked good in everything they were asking him to do. And so uh, you could definitely see why he was the guy that they really went after to be their first tight end in their class. And again, him coming up from Tennessee to camp when he doesn't have to, went through a whole workout with Kevin Wilson and the other tight ends. I think that tells you something about his work ethic and his desire to compete. And he seemed really excited to be there. Uh, I asked him afterward, I said, who's going to be the next guy to join you in the 2023 class? Who do you really want? Brandon Innes, he's a dog. So we've talked about Brandon Innes. I think last week we talked about Brandon Innes. Uh, He's a guy who will be making an official visit to Ohio State later this month. A guy who was taught my list of the most impressive campers last year. I said it last week. I would agree that I think he's uh, the number one guy for Ohio State right now. And Ty Lockwood uh, backed that up with what he said. Yeah, Ty Lockwood, you know, he was saying that Kevin Wilson was kind of uh, making things difficult for him there because he is an Ohio State committee. He's, he's holding him to a bit of a higher standard than some of those other campers. But Lockwood said, I love that. I appreciate that. I want that to be the case. You know, obviously, he got to be you know united with some of the, those other Buckeye commits on uh, Tuesday, whatever day it is here. Um, Dan, I, the, the days are starting to run together as can't But anyone else that, that caught your eye, Dan, I think as far as I'm concerned, I think you've, we've basically said all the names that, that really stick out to me on a list of guys. Anyone else that you had? Yeah, I mean, that, those were the guys that I had written down is the guys who really caught my eye the most. I mean, certainly lots of interesting stories coming out of these camps. I mean, you look at a guy like Mylon Graham from the first camp. He didn't have a single offer before that first camp, uh, he, sh- he showed up from Indiana and he earned an offer with great performance. And we- we've talked about it before. You got to trust Brian Hartline's judgment. So if-, if he impressed Brian Hartline, that probably means he's really good. And I know he's already followed that up with offers from Indiana and Notre Dame. So usually when Ohio State offers a guy, every schools follow. And that certainly appears to be the case there. I think another guy who's worth noting uh, for sure would be Austin Novosad, quarterback who's currently committed to Baylor. He participated in the first camp session, went through a workout with Ryan Day, and he earned an offer there. And so, interestingly, although he was not at camp, Ohio State also made an offer on Tuesday to Brock Glenn, a quarterback from Memphis in the 2023 class. So we've talked before about Ohio State really isn't in a good position with its top targets in that class, the guy they've been the guys they've been recruiting for a long time. And so they're kind of broadening their search fair for a quarterback. And those are a couple guys, Austin Novosad and Brock Glenn, who I think 
realistically are probably the top targets now. Austin Novosad did enough to impress them at that first camp to, to earn an offer. And a Brock Glenn, who's not, who's uncommitted. Austin Novosad is still committed to Baylor. Obviously, he's considering his options because he camped at Ohio State, but is still committed to Baylor. Brock Glenn, I know he just made an official visit to Auburn, but he is uncommitted. And so Ohio State trying to get in that race as well. So going to be interesting to see how that unfolds with the quarterback search. But a couple clear targets have now emerged there over the past week. And Danny, you know, I already mentioned that some of the guys that we've wanted to talk to here, they end up, you know, going back with the coaching staff after camp and then kind of sneaking out the back on you or just uh, the coaching staff may not we want to throw them to the dog, so to speak, to, the, to, to be interviewed after a long day of camping and whatnot. But anything from the interview process and, and guys that we have gotten to talk to that sticks out to you as really attention grabbing or just interesting uh, anecdotes from our interview sessions? Yeah, it feels like every defensive lineman you talk to talks about how great Larry Johnson is and, and just how much uh, they love working for him and, and how much they learn from him. So that's probably something that uh, just stood out from talking to different guys. Like I said, talking to Austin Novosad, it was interesting. He called Ohio State, quote, best of the best and, and biggest of the biggest when it comes to quarterbacks. And it's interesting to hear that because it was only a few years ago where Ohio State definitely did not have that kind of reputation of being a quarterback factory. And that's what Ryan Day has built now. So that's why you have a quarterback who's already committed to Baylor, who quite honestly probably has a much more sure shot of becoming the starter at Baylor than he would at Ohio State. Yet he's still considering Ohio State because he sees what C.J. Stroud's doing. He sees what Justin Fields did. He sees what Dwayne Haskins did and thinks, this Ryan Day guy sure seems to know how to develop quarterbacks. Maybe I want to be the next guy there. Yeah, for me, you already mentioned uh, Dylan Stewart and the, the way that those guys talk about Larry Johnson. It, it's really like cool to see that, that they already know his backstory and his track record and the fact that they show that respect. I know Nigel Smith was talking about like some guy, some guys like think they're might think they're too good to to go through some of the camping stuff or actually participate. He was saying like, listen, I, I want to learn from Larry Johnson because he is the best. He has so much you know, knowledge he can kind of imbue onto me or, and things like that. Um, Dylan Stewart saying that his interest level in Ohio State was a 10. I thought that was, you know, very interesting and a, a, a great sign for the Buckeyes. And we already touched on this a little bit as well. But um, just hearing Chris Henry talk about kind of how his dad's career has inspired him, because I, I want to say he was only, he's probably only one or two or something like that when his father passed away. And uh, at the time, you kind of hear that the, the Chris Henry Sr. story and you're thinking, man, like what's going to happen to those kids and things like that. But then you know, here we are in person seeing what's happened with him and, and his budding football career as well. Hearing him talk about you know, Pac-Man Jones, referring to him as my, his uncle, pretty much. I, I went back uh, the other day and, and watched Pac-Man Jones kind of talking about adopting Chris Henry uh, Jr. and his brother as well. I believe his name is uh, Demarcus. And so that, that whole angle was very interesting as well. Th those are some things, Dan, that stood out to me as far as the most interesting things I've heard. Of course, you guys have been around a little bit more. I don't typically recover rec recruiting that closely, but those things did jump out at me. These camps are also an opportunity for us to actually watch the coaches coach, which I think is fun. Because even when we go to a spring practice, like sometimes people you know, will ask us about what we're watching with coaches and like, I'm not really watching my coaches when I'm at a spring practice. Like I'm trying to see what the players are doing. But, you know, sometimes at these camps, I'll actually watch for coaches more because just to kind of see the way they, they teach. And, and I think that's been kind of interesting uh, just to watch some of the different coaches in action. Like you're always impressed when you watch Larry Johnson because he's just you know, he's so good at explaining things and breaking things down to guys like you just get it. Like, yeah, I get why guys want to play for this guy. Like it's easy to see. But then like watching Justin Fry, I thought was interesting. Like it was interesting watching Justin Fry compared to watching past years of offensive line camps, it felt like with Fry, there was a much bigger emphasis placed on fundamentals. There wasn't a whole lot, quite honestly, like it wasn't really that exciting to watch just because like they weren't really doing a lot of things that were like in terms, in terms of like making it easy to like evaluate the players. It was kind of more like, fundamentals teaching based more, I would say. But I thought that was just interesting to see. I was even watching on Tuesday, he was kind of doing a private session with the free offensive line commits, Luke Montgomery, Austin Sierraville, and Joshua Padilla. And you know, he was doing this one drill where they're like 
holding this stick thing on their shoulders and they're like jumping with it. And then he's like, and, he, and he's like telling them like, and he's nitpicking these different things about like their foot placement and how they're doing it and all that. And it's just very interesting to watch that and, and just kind of get a glimpse of how he does his job. Because I know that's one thing that I've heard a lot about him is that people like the way he teaches. So he's not as much of a yeller as he is a teacher. And you could see that he's very precise in terms of wanting to see, like even a lot of times you'd see him a one-on-ones the guy would line up for rep and then he'd come over and he'd put his hand on their shoulder and he'd like change the way they were lined up before they'd even go through the rep. So he's looking for very specific things in terms of guys' stances and technique and and, then teaching those things to those guys. And we'll ultimately see how that manifests itself on the football field this fall. But it's just kind of a glimpse and behind the curtain at how he does his job as a teacher. Yeah, Dan, how about Tim Walton? I think it's been kind of fun to watch him because he definitely seems like a guy that's a player's coach. And I think definitely you can kind of tell he's had that NFL experience, right? Because I don't know, he just he's pretty animated with the players, especially in those one on one uh, situations. He's getting on the field and yelling like he's one of the players doing the same thing. I'm giving guys a lot of guidance and tips as well. Gets pretty fired up at times. I I thought he kind of jumped out as a guy that I've seen a lot at these camps and made an impression on me with his kind of coaching style. I think a, a lot of people probably want to know like what Jim Knowles is like, obviously as a coach out there. And he's kind of he's he it look he's very contemplative when he's out there. I feel like he's a lot of things are going on, a lot of numbers are going on in, in Jim Knowles' mind. But I did get to see him kind of uh, roughing up one of the DBs uh, today after after one of the drills, just kind of like chiding him about something and getting having some physical contact, like kind of bumping him around. It was, it was cool to see him interact with the player in that way. I haven't watched, honestly, a ton of the, the linebacker stuff. I don't know if you've, you've seen more of that to see how he kind of interacts with those guys. Well, I, I was watching him run some DBs through drills on Tuesday, and he's doing this one drill where, like, he's, like, he's swinging his arms around, and he's telling the guys, like, go this way. And it, I don't even really even know exactly what the drill was, but it was just like fun to watch. Cause he's like, he's running with them and like, he's like super into it. And like watch him out there. You kind of get that. Like the people call him like a mad scientist. You kind of, you do kind of get that vibe from him. Cause you can tell he's a very like deep thinker, but he's, he's definitely animated. He, he's definitely into it. And you just watch him out there too. You can see him working with Tim Walton and working with Perry Eliano. And they're working with Matt Guerrero, who's a senior advisor and analyst who I know a lot of our recruits know as well. And just to see all those different guys kind of out there working together, you can kind of see the communication and kind of how some of the puzzle pieces fit together. So it's just kind of fun to get that peek behind the curtain. I'm not going to lie and tell you we watched that and say, oh, uh, this changes our outlook on the season or anything. But it's just kind of fun to get that glimpse behind the curtain at how they do these certain things. And Dan, I will not be here next week uh, for the next few camps here, but I'm wondering if you could tell our listeners what to from the, the week ahead in terms of the Ohio State camp season here. This guy's going on vacation again. I mean, wasn't <laughs> yeah. he just on vacation? No. I, I wish one of you guys would have taken a vacation in between my two, so it no, didn't no, seem no, like no. I we're, we're just giving you a hard time. You deserve a vacation. So he, he will be off next week. For those of you who listen in every week to hear the dulcet tones of Griffin Strom, but uh, yeah, there, uh, camp season is not going to slow down here. There's going to be three more camps next week, uh, skill camps with all the different position groups like we've seen on Tuesday and Wednesday, and then a uh, seven-on-seven competition on Thursday. So uh, while Griffin will not be there, Garrett Codge and I will both be there, and we'll have lots more coverage coming on 11 Warriors from those camps. And then this upcoming weekend is also the first weekend of official visits for Ohio State. They're going to have a free big official visit weekends here over the next three weeks. The biggest one is that third one. It's like every each week there's going to be more visitors than the weekend before. So they're going to get progressively bigger, but some still some important official visits this week, this weekend. Uh, Riley Williams, a tight end from Oregon, who I'd say probably their top target right now to be that second tight end. You know, Walker Lyons is a guy I had mentioned a while back. He's a guy I thought could join the class, but he hasn't scheduled an official visit. Seems like he could maybe be favoring BYU or Stanford right now. So Riley Williams among their top tight end targets, he might be the most realistic target. And I think the fact that Ohio State hasn't offered any tight ends yet from these camps kind of tells you that they're hoping to land Williams as that second tight end in the class. Because I think if they 
didn't think they were going to land him, they would have offered a tight end by now because they've had some pretty good tight ends come through the camp circuit this month. But I think they're waiting to see if they can land Riley Williams. And so they'll make their best effort to try to land him this weekend when he's on campus for an official. They'll also have uh, Mateo Uyunglele, who's uh, the younger brother of Clemson quarterback DJ Uyunglele. He's one of the better prospects they'll have on campus this month for an official visit, a really talented defensive end, certainly one of their top targets on the defensive line, five-star talent and somebody they'd love to land. And I I think they have a shot there. I don't know if they're necessarily the, the, the clear favorite, But I I think Ohio State has a chance there. I think if that official visit goes well this weekend, uh, it's definitely possible they could land uh, Mateo Iangale. And so that will certainly be an official visit to monitor. And then they'll also have Darien Goulet, a a linebacker from Texas on campus, as well as Daniel Harris, a, a cornerback from Georgia, who's among their top targets at that position. So definitely an important weekend, the first of three important weekends in June for Ohio State. Yeah, Dan, uh, you want to move ahead to one of the bigger, you know, sound bites of the past week here in Ohio State land for sure, which was, of course, Ryan Day coming out and saying that the Buckeyes are going to need $13 million in NIL money in order to keep the roster intact moving forward. There's a lot of moving parts with the modern day NIL kind of landscape here. And we've seen some of the, the deals that have been getting made and heard some of the numbers at some other programs. Of course, you guys will just remember the the Nick Saban, Jim, Jimbo Fisher discussions and a lot of that, what's kind of going on behind the scenes and how much money are some of these players truly bringing in NIL. Uh, Ryan Day saying 13 million, Dan. What, did, what was your reaction when you heard that figure in particular? Yeah, it's a pretty big number. I mean, got to, first of all, give credit to Doug Lee Maurice from Cleveland.com who broke that news. I was not at this event, honestly, did not know it was happening until after the fact, but Doug was on top of it and, and he broke the story that got a lot of attention and rightfully so because, yeah, it, it's a big number. I mean, especially when you consider the fact that Ohio State put out a news release after that event in which it said, Ohio State, they said, I assume these numbers are based on open doors. They said Ohio State leads the nation in NIL compensation with three and a half million. And now Ryan Day saying they need four times that. It's a big number. I don't know that it's a realistic number, to be honest. It's hard. I mean, we don't know. We really don't know what the numbers are at each of these different schools. I mean, you hear these crazy things about Tennessee and Texas A&M and all that, but you don't really know what's real and what's fake. And so it's hard to really put a price tag on it. But I think what it does tell you is Ohio State is concerned about this. Like they, they do believe there's a real possibility that they could lose star players. I mean, even guys who are established starters, they could lose guys like that to the transfer portal for NIL money if those players aren't able to get that NIL money within the Ohio State market. And so I think the setting of that soundbite, as you called it, is important because it, it, much like the Nick Saban comments that got so much attention a couple weeks earlier, this came at an event where Ryan Day and Gene Smith and uh, Kerry Hoyt, who oversees Ohio State's NIL efforts, they were speaking to a group of local business people. And so typically at these events, coaches tend to be a little more unfiltered than they are when they're in a press conference or an interview. And we don't want to forget, much like with the Nick Saban comments, that the biggest reason why he was saying these things is he's trying to encourage donors to donate more money. And so I think that's the genesis of it is he, he's trying to tell these people with influence in the Columbus community, hey, we need your money. We need your money to go to these players to, to ensure that we are able to keep them in scarlet and gray and playing for the Buckeyes. And it's such a weird spot because the money's not being the money can't be donated directly to OSU. That's not how this works. Money going to the players. And so obviously the collectives are a part of that. And it does sound like, I I did talk to Carrie Hoy after this event and just from talking to her, it does sound like Ohio State is starting to realize that it has to get more involved with the collectives. We know Ohio State was very hesitant to go down that road. I think 
seeing what's happening in the SEC and elsewhere, I think Ohio State has realized we we can't sit back and let these other schools do this stuff and not do it ourselves. And so I think Ohio State is getting more involved in communicating with its collectives and trying to help its collectives raise more money. We'll ultimately see if the NCAA does start cracking down more on these collectives. But I think until that happens, the top schools are going to have to be involved with it if they're going to have a chance to remain at the top. And so I think Ohio State recognizes that. And uh, a lot of this is certainly geared uh, toward that effort of raising money for those collectives. But I think what made this so interesting is I think it was the first time that really a coach as prominent as Ryan Day put a true dollar figure on it. So uh, that's a big number. I mean, $13 million uh, for something that didn't even exist a year ago. And now we're saying we need $13 million in NIL money for our players to keep them happy. But the, the challenge is like, how do you really break down that number? Because you know, he was saying he thinks top quarterbacks are going to command $2 million in NIL money. He thinks top offensive tackles, defensive ends are going to command $1 million. But, you know, how is that money spread out? I mean, if you have a collective raising money, how does that money get spread out uh, throughout the team? And what kind of deals do they make to make that so it's legal or quote unquote legal, whatever the NCAA will actually allow. So it's going to continue to be fascinating uh, to see all this unfold. Yeah, for sure. And, and I wonder how much of it, you kind of alluded to this, like how much of it is kind of this like haggling technique by Ryan Day to, to say a number that's you know higher than he even truly believes that his team will need in order to just drum up the kind of the wow factor of that number and to get, like you said, the lo- local business owners and the people of influence in Columbus to be like, oh, wow, like we need to contribute to this cause like now or else or else. And so uh, I know because I know you you talked to, to Carrie Hoyt, as you said, and it seemed like she didn't even necessarily know how realistic that that was either. So it makes you wonder what will happen with that number if it, it will be met at any point in the future or not. But Dan, what else did you kind of get out of that conversation from her as a person kind of on the front lines of organizing some of this stuff? And you mentioned, obviously, the NIL Corporate Ambassador Program, which obviously seems like an effort to organize uh, more stuff and just help facilitate more deals for players and getting more companies involved to have that direct kind of line of making things happen for players. Yeah, I think Ohio State wants to get, again, when they started, they wanted to be very hands-off and basically... When, when this all started, Ohio State wasn't talking to companies about making deals with athletes. They were just approving deals, making sure they were compliant. Now Ohio State is actually going out there and talking to brands themselves and saying, hey, you should partner with our athletes. Hey, these are our athletes that are interested and serving as that mediator uh, between those two groups. And so I think that's what that NIL corporate ambassador program is going to do. I mean, I don't know if it's necessarily any different than just an endorsement deal, but what Carrie Hoyt said to me was she thinks there are still some companies because the rules are so gray that some companies are still hesitant to get involved with NIL. They don't necessarily feel comfortable just sending a DM to an athlete because they're worried they might be breaking the rules. So Ohio State feels that by formalizing it as this corporate ambassador program, that might make some companies more comfortable to you know, kind of reach out and say, hey, we want to work with Ohio State athletes. And then Ohio State can talk to the athletes, find out which athletes are interested, and then kind of serve as a mediator to bring those two things together. And so I think that's what Carrie Hoyt told me. I asked her, what, how do you, where do you see this thing going in year two? And she said, that's one of the big things is they're really gonna, they're really gonna dig into, okay, looking at brands that Ohio State athletes can work with and trying to help make those partnerships happen. Whereas year one was really about just trying to manage it, trying to make sure that violations weren't committed and trying to make sure that, you know, players were doing what they're supposed to do and paying their taxes and all that. But now year two is going to be more about getting aggressive and actually trying to help make those deals happen for athletes. Obviously, there's only so much they can do because we did get a question from Jay Buckeye about where's all this money going to come from. And it's important to remember that this money is not coming directly from Ohio State. When we're talking about $13 million, 
That doesn't mean Ohio State is going to pay its players $13 million. Ohio State is still not allowed to do that. So this money has to come from outside. It has to come from business companies that, that want to make deals with athletes, or it can come from you know any fan who wants to donate money to a collective that will then you know pick charities for athletes to partner with and give them a cut of that money in turn. So that that's the thing about it is it's Ohio State can put those initiatives out there, but you know it's very different like if we're talking like the NFL where like you have a salary cap and then you're you're spending from that salary cap. This is different because it's not you don't actually control the payroll here. I mean this is you are trying to maybe encourage people to give money to your athletes, but you are you do not directly control that business relationship. And so I think that's what makes it, you know, so complicated for Ohio State is or any school is you don't have direct control over this. But I think I think Ohio State when this all kind of started, I mean I think they were all kind of hoping, well, the NCAA will come in and make rules and that'll kind of shut down these collectives. And then, I mean, Ohio State's always wanted its athletes to do well in NIL. Ohio State's always wanted to be a leader in the NIL space. I don't think Ohio State ever wanted to deal with this stuff like collectives and deal with stuff like potential bidding wars over players in the transfer portal. I don't think Ohio State ever wanted to deal with that. But the reality is, that cat's out of a bag and it's probably not going away. So Ohio State realizes now it has to be involved in that landscape in order to remain at the top of a pyramid, as Gene Smith likes to say. Yeah, and just we talked about the fact that moving forward every year, assistant coaching salaries always going up, head coaching salaries always going up. That that NIL number, it's going to be interesting to keep an eye on how much that changes program by program and what the top programs in the country require to to land these huge five-star recruits and things of that nature. You think of how the amount of money that the, these teams are, are able to generate impacts who is at the top of the heap in the college football landscape, because obviously there's been you know so much made about the Texas A&M class to see how that pans out just in the first place and, and how much that could affect the college football landscape. It's all going to be interesting to see, and we will definitely keep an eye on that and continue to talk about the ramifications and and things like that. But Dan, let's move on here to some kind of miscellaneous topics and and questions from our listeners as well. Um, Let's start with a fun one, Dan. The the Michigan football team, for the first time ever, supposedly, reportedly, I should say, is giving out kind of like memorabilia for obviously winning the rivalry game for the first time. And it's kind of reminiscent, of course, of the gold pants tradition that Ohio State has had for a very long time. What did you think when you saw the, the kind of the charm given out for the Michigan football team, it's been a while since they have won one of these games, Dan, but it looks like they're getting creative with kind of how they're rewarding their players uh, in this sense. I thought it was a little corny. I'm not going to lie. I, I don't know. I kind of thought like there'd probably be a cooler way to do that than what they did. But, you know, I, I think it's another symbol of Michigan placing an added emphasis on this rivalry. I think it was a few years ago where it did feel like Ohio State cared a little more about this rivalry than Michigan did. And you know, Michigan players, you talk to them and say, well, Michigan State's our rival too, or it's just one game. They, they didn't necessarily want to fully embrace that rivalry quite the same way Ohio State does with 24-7, 365, we work it every day of the year. It's the most important game. Michigan didn't seem to quite want to go down that road. And then, like, last year, they finally did. They're like, we're going to do everything about, you know, like, they think they had the quote on the wall. It was like, what are you doing to beat Ohio State today? And they really made it that point of emphasis. And what do you know? It led to beating Ohio State and winning the Big Ten and making the college football playoff. And so certainly I think that emphasis on the rivalry game for Michigan is only going to increase from here. And I think this is a number symbol of that. And so I think in that sense, it's a good thing for the rivalry. I'm not surprised that I think most Ohio State fans kind of mocked it because it it did feel like kind of a ripoff of the gold pants concept. But, you know, I think it's just one more sign that Michigan is – 
taking this rivalry as seriously as it's ever taken it. Yeah, I think a lot of people are going to look at it as kind of like a, a cheap, you know, imitation of the gold pants. And from I that, I saw a lot of comments about how it looked like something you would get out of a gumball machine. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, it, it's never going to be as cool, right? And uh, unless maybe Michigan rips off 30, 30 wins in a row and it becomes a tradition all its own. But speaking of traditions and rivalry games or potential rivalry games, I suppose Ohio State, Penn State, we found out that there's not going to be a whiteout at that game. And we'd already kind of figured that it might not be a night game this year for that event. But what did you make of that? Is that disappointing for you, Dan? It's kind of disappointing for me, actually, I will say, because it will be my first time at, at that game. And being there for the first time, I would like to get the, the full experience of everything that that stadium has to offer. Yeah, I was thinking that it might be more disappointing for you since you haven't actually had a chance to experience a whiteout yet. I, I thought maybe maybe Ohio State might be happy about this. Like if it's a noon game and it's not a whiteout, like maybe that's a little easier environment to play in. I know Teron Vincent did a reply to 11 Warriors' tweet about it with just the word lame. And so <laughs> uh, that seemed to be his thought on it not being a whiteout. It's instead going to be a, quote, stripe out where half the sections will be white and half the sections will be blue. So they've done that before. Not, not quite as cool as the whiteout. The whiteout uh, is pretty cool. But I think, to me, that's just one more sign of evidence that Ohio State, Penn State isn't going to be a night game this year. Because I think... Typically, the whiteout game is a night game. I mean, it does look really cool under the lights. It, it doesn't like I remember it's like when Ohio State, I think they did a blackout for a noon game. Like it just don't look just don't look that cool during a day game. It looks so much cooler during a night game. And so I, I think that's another indicator of it. Most likely that Ohio State Penn State game is going to be a noon game on Fox this year. One game that we know will be a night game, Dan, is the very first game of the season, the week one matchup between potential top 10 opponents with Ohio State taking on Notre Dame at the shoe under the lights. OSU chef would like to know regarding that matchup, who are some, any surprise starters or unexpected contributors that could pop up in that game? I know this past season, you know, the Minnesota game, we were all, wow, what, are, what is Ohio State doing with the, the defensive rotations? And some guys were playing a lot that we didn't you know, expect to play a lot in that game. Do you anticipate something like that happening in this game? And if so, Dan, can you look into your crystal ball and tell us who those players might be? Yeah, I mean, it's so hard to say, like, who actually constitutes a surprise at this point. Because I feel right. like we've been speculating ahead to the season for six months now. And so it's like, who would actually be viewed as a surprise to the average listener? I think that that would be the question. But... I mean, I mean, I think one name I'll just throw out there. I mean, again, I don't know if he's for sure a surprise, but I mean, I'll, I'll just say Jordan Hancock. I think we'll see Jordan Hancock play a lot. I think Denzel Burke and Cam Brown will be starters, but I think Jordan Hancock is going to play a lot. And it's hard to say. You go into a game like that, they could say, we want to play Burke and Brown every play. We, we don't really want to take our two trusted veterans off the field. Or they could say, Hancock's going to play as many snaps as those guys, and this is going to be a true rotation. And I lean a little bit toward the latter, but I think we could see Jordan Hancock play a lot of snaps right away this season. So I'll go with Jordan Hancock being a guy that I'm, I don't think he's going to be a starter unless uh, Brown or Burke is injured, but I think he will play a lot and make an impact early. Yeah, it's hard, Dan, because we're so close to it. So, like, we think about so many scenarios that, that it's, right. it's hard There's going to be people who are surprising to the nation that even for our listeners here, they probably wouldn't be surprised because they follow Ohio State football so closely. Yeah, so I'm thinking on this topic here, like, if Ohio State – the Ohio State fan that doesn't keep up with all the offseason, the transfer portal stuff and the, the comings and goings – and I don't – I really don't know how much this guy is going to play at all. In, in week one, I think we both – probably think eventually this guy will get a significant amount of snaps at some point in his Ohio State career. But Chip Traynham at linebacker, a guy that I think Jim Knowles spoke very highly of this offseason coming in from Arizona State, converting from running back in Akron native, a guy who, who took some second team snaps at linebacker as well when we got to watch some reps for Ohio State this spring. Like, I just think if, if he were to play like in that first game, a lot of Ohio State fans would be scratching their head like, oh, who, where did this guy come from? Like, he wasn't in that mix last year. A, a name that we did not know last year if you weren't paying attention to the the transfer portal additions. Yeah, I would be a little bit surprised, like, if we saw him uh, play a lot right away. I do think it's possible, though, that he does end up playing significant snaps this year. I'm not necessarily predicting it, but I think it's possible. 
For sure. Dan, moving on a little bit here, Ohio sports betting. This is something that we've been talking about for a long time at this point in terms of when is this actually going to happen? I know I was writing like talking to to somebody about this last year at some point, and and they were telling me the timeline that they thought it was going to happen. And it was certainly a lot earlier than this, but we found out what was it literally today or or just very recently last week. Okay. That Ohio sports betting won't become legal until January 1st, 2023. What do you make of that kind of timeline, Dan? And is it a missed opportunity that'll be coming after most of the football season? For sure. I mean, it's absolutely a missed opportunity if it's coming after most of the football season. Because I mean, you got to think people in Ohio, what are what is for sport that people are probably going to really want to bet on in Ohio? I would think it's probably number one, Ohio State football, and number two, the NFL. And so when it becomes legal on January 1, I mean, depending on how the season goes, Ohio State's season could potentially be over by the time January 1 comes around. Obviously, everybody listening, if you're an Ohio State fan, is hoping it will not be over because you'll be hoping that Ohio State will be playing in the national championship game in early January. So you might get to bet on Ohio State if you're in the national championship game, or I think the Rose Bowls on January 2 this year. So if they go back to the Rose Bowl, you might get to bet on that. But Ohio, for most of the Ohio State football season, a sports betting will not be legal in Ohio, which again, it's kind of funny. Like I kind of joke like, oh yeah, like, I can't wait to make my first sports bet on in January 1. Cause I mean, <laughs> it, it, I mean, it happens out there. It's for sure. But it, it, I mean, it's the good news is that it is coming. I think it's overdue. It, it's, it's legal in a lot of other states now. So I think it's overdue for sports betting to be legal in the state of Ohio. But if you want to bet on Ohio State, Michigan, or any regular season Ohio State football game, you're going to have to uh, wait until the 2023 season. And another time of the year that's a bit of a sports lull would be the summer, July, of course. We're in it. We're pretty much in it as we speak. But, you know, for a lot of people, kind of a reprieve from that every year is the basketball tournament, which you know, maybe some people that don't take it too seriously during the year. But I think the t- TBT is fun during the summer when there's not much else going on. You get to check back in with in the last several years. It's been the Aaron Crafts of the world, the John Deeblers of the world, the William Bufords, obviously David Le- Jared Sollinger coaching that the Carmen's crew team. You know, obviously a few years ago they won the two million dollar prize. The last two years have not been as fruitful in that tournament. But the news out of Tuesday is that the Carmen's crew Ohio State alumni basketball team in TBT will not actually participate this year for the first time since 2016. The, the, the first year for them they were, they were going by Scarlet and Gray. And that was in 2017. They've played in the tournament every year since then. I just I didn't really think about the the possibility of them just not playing at all this year. So it did come as a, a little bit of a surprise. But if you recall, last year Aaron Kraft and John Diebler both hung up the basketball sneakers after that disappointing loss in the Cavelli Center. If you recall that one, Dan. So I, I don't know how much that factors into it. Not having two guys that were a, a central kind of part of that team, the central nucleus there to drive things forward. Um, but yeah, those guys will not be uh, playing this summer. Dan, will you miss the TBT and, and just your general reaction to that news in general? I will miss it. I, I think it's fun. I mean, I think a lot of Ohio State basketball fans, especially basketball fans who view the program's glory days of being the days of Aaron Kraft and Greg Oden, Jared Selinger, John D, Deshaun Thomas, David Lighty, all those different guys. Uh, I think it's fun. I think it, it's like you said, It's it usually comes in July, like right before football is about to ramp up. So I've always enjoyed going to the games, watching the games, covering the games. So I will miss it. I'm sure that there will be some Buckeyes littered across TBT rosters. Nonetheless, I saw that Jimmy Sotos was going to play for the Bucknell team. And I would imagine it'll probably be one of those Big Ten teams or some other team that some of those Buckeyes, guys who would have played for Carmen's crew, will ultimately end up on. But uh, yeah, it is. I do think it's a little disappointing of it. We won't get to see that this year because it's always been fun. But I think a lot of it has certainly has due to the fact that, like I said, I mean, Aaron, he's focused on medical school now. I mean, John Diebler just got a job at Butler. A lot of these guys, Sollinger and Evan Ravenel and Deshaun Thomas, all of them, they've been playing overseas all year. And so these guys are the guys who make up the team. They're all getting older to the point where it's probably harder for some of those guys to really block out the time for a, a basketball tournament at this point. And so obviously they decided it was best for them uh, not to do that this year, but I, I, it does sound like they're planning to come back a year from now. So hopefully they will a mix of some of the old faces and some fresh new faces as well, because I've always enjoyed watching it. 
Yeah, I think there's several Buckeyes every year that are on other teams. And it's it seemed to me last year with Kraft leaving the fold that they would probably try to bring some of those guys in, the Caleb Wessons of the world or, or CJ Jackson. Trevor Thompson's another guy I think that was playing for like what the Dayton team, something like that. There's, so there's several of those kind of straggler guys that didn't really have a spot on that team because they didn't necessarily fit with the, the nucleus there with the teams from the 2010s and even before that. But yeah, I think honestly like the, the 2019 run the team that Carmen Screw had was like uh, avenging all those every time Ohio State got so close during that that run that you alluded to but couldn't quite make it past that that the final hurdle there. That was like kind of like exercising those demons it felt like I'm sure for a lot of Ohio State fans. But then the last two years are really it kind of felt more like several of those disappointing losses that they had during that time when they got so close but being bounced out of the tournament and things like that in close games with that that late comeback against which team was it then last year that they ended up losing to i really i cannot tell I you I, remember. I can't pull that one on the fly yeah i just remember the, the, the post game press conference where I, I i was joking with a reporter who asked for a question about it today so i think it's okay but he he did ask aaron Kraft about next year and he was like next year we just finished this year so uh, <laughs> yeah maybe that was foreshadowing that the carmen's crew was about to end its run but hopefully we'll see them back in 2023. One more question that we got from a listener came from one mechanical engineering. He said, not much has been said in 11 Warriors about SEC Commissioner Greg Sankey's veiled threat to have the SEC have its own playoff separate from the NCAA. He has also stated that he wants the NCAA to have a playoff of eight teams, but no automatic bids. Can you provide some analysis of what the ramifications of these potential changes might be for college football in general and for OSU in particular? I think to the first point, I think the reason we haven't talked about the SEC having its own playoff much is because I don't think we actually believe that's going to happen. <laughs> I mean, I certainly hope it doesn't happen. I mean, the SEC has a lot of power, um, and I think they're trying to leverage that, but I don't really believe if the SEC actually wants to have its own playoff separate from the rest of the NCAA. I, I do not think that's going to happen. I think what it is a leverage play to try to get the playoff format they want. And as you mentioned, one playoff format that they have supported is one that would be eight teams but without automatic bids. And I mean, the reality is the reason why SEC, the SEC doesn't want automatic bids is because the SEC knows with no automatic bids, it's going to have more teams in the playoff. Because if you just look at the rankings every year, I mean, they've had two teams in the four-team playoff multiple times. If it's an eight-team playoff based solely on rankings, yeah, there's going to be years of a three. There might even be years of a four teams of the playoffs. So that's why they don't want automatic bids. I think I feel like we've talked a lot about what the playoff changes can do for Ohio State, and I think as we've said before, if a playoff expands to eight or more, you would expect Ohio State to make the playoff every single year. I think if you look at the rankings, I think without automatic bids, might be better for Ohio State. Because if you expand to eight, because I mean, Ohio State, I mean, I don't remember off the top of my head if it's six or seven years, whatever it is, they have the longest streak of any team in the country of finishing in the top six in the AP poll. And so Ohio State is consistently ranked within that top eight to 12 every year. So Ohio State really doesn't need an auto bid. I think actually Ohio State would be better off without an auto bid in the, in the, if an eight team playoff specifically. For the fact that if Ohio State, maybe they are the best team in the Big Ten, but something happens that leaves them out of a Big Ten championship game, then if a Big Ten steals an auto bid, or even if a Big Ten, they make it to the Big Ten championship game and they get upset by the other team, which as we know, soon, that might not be a team from the West. It might just be two teams in the conference. And so I think for Ohio State, to just have to make that top eight, it, it takes something out of your control. So I think that's why Gene is among those who has pushed for automatic bids because I think Ohio State would like to have that control of knowing if we win the Big Ten, we are in. But I, I also think practically no, automatic bids probably wouldn't help Ohio State that much and it might hurt Ohio State just in the sense of if you're expanding the playoff anyway. I mean, my, in my opinion, I do think that there should, particularly if you expand to 12, I do think there should be automatic bids for the Power 5 champions to really put more value into winning those conference championship games. I think if you don't, I think if you don't have automatic bids, 
that's where I think some of a conversation about do we really need conference championship games could come into play. Like if if there's no tangible benefit from a college football playoff perspective of winning those games beyond just boosting your resume, then, you know, maybe those conference championship games lose some luster. So I I do like the idea of you you win your conference you're in if you're in one of those top conferences. But I think think from Ohio State's perspective, if you expand it to eight, as long as Ohio State continues to do what it's doing, Ohio State's going to be in the playoff basically every single year, whether it wins the Big Ten or not. Yeah, I think, like you said, an, an expansion, specifically like the one you just mentioned, is, is going to take a lot of uh, stress off of Ohio State's fans, for sure, and pro- Ryan Day as well, of course, because then you're not looking at one loss necessarily completely ruining your season in the same way. But of course, yeah, there's always talk about what the SEC is going to do because it's such a you know powerful entity on its own and, of course, has the the Alabamas of the world that are running the sport to a certain extent the last you know however many years. It's funny, it, it kind of s- sounds like uh, one mechanical engineering here, like just kind of viewing Greg Sankey as this, the evil emperor of the of the college football world. <laughs> the and, Darth Vader. Yeah, and I'm football. sure a lot of Ohio State fans in general probably share that that view to a certain extent. But yeah, Dan, and other than that, I, I don't have anything to refute anything you just said there. Well, Griffin, you'll be in Colorado or Texas or wherever your travels take you next week. <laughs> so we hope you enjoy your vacation and uh, we'll have you back here on the show in uh, two weeks from now when you get back on vacation to talk about whatever you've missed during that time. So we hope you enjoy your vacation. We thank everybody out there uh, for listening in and we'll talk to you again soon.